Man, good to see you guys. Listen, and I know those of you joining online, glad you're here. I'm proud of y'all because you guys have faced holiday hangover and showed up to church. And so, man, that is impressive. Yeah, give yourself a hand. Yeah, I'm proud of you. You look at somebody else and be like, you did it. You really did it. You made it. Listen, as uh, we wrap up the year, uh, one of the things that I just hope we all get a chance to do is just spend a little bit of time reflecting on what's been going on. You know what I mean? Like spend a, create a little space in your life, in your world, to just go, all right, God, what have you actually been up to? You know, because sometimes we feel like life has happened to us, and so it's important for us to just uh, take a step back and go, all right, what has this year been like? And I've spent a little bit of time reflecting for this to just go like, all right, how would I describe what God's been doing, or how would I describe more so what this year has felt like? And I've leaned more towards this idea of, you know, I think we find ourselves in this proverbial, like, rock in a hard place. If I were to put a phrase on 2020, it'd be like, man, it feels like a rock in a hard place. That's what this year has felt like. Because if you can remember, um, when we first launched into everybody in the world quarantine, no more friends, you know, you remember that season? Um, it was one of those things It was like, okay, downstairs in our house, just as a picture of this, all my kids instantly are going through the digital distance learning stuff. And then upstairs, I'm locked in my little corner of my room trying to figure out this digital distance working stuff. You know, how many of you kind of, we're all walked through that, right? And so we're just going like, man, yeah, okay, rocking a hard place here. Because on one side, I'm trying to figure out, we're trying to learn these new norms and walk through some of this stuff, and it's just not making sense. You know what I mean? And, and all of a sudden, we realize that our kids are, awesome, and um, we live for that, and then, you know, you realize that, oh my goodness, there's a lot, it feels like I'm working a lot on something, but not a lot is moving, and honestly, it's felt literally like, whoa, I feel stuck, like I'm wanting to accomplish something, and it's not happening, and I think we've all kind of experienced some of those things. I mean, you have your own story. We can spend hours and just say like, hey, tell me about your rock in a hard place this year. Tell me about your rock in a hard place this year. But I mean, just think about what our nations walked through as well, right? We've kind of all been hit by this wave and trying to figure out what is our new norm with all the face masks and the social distancing and, and all this kind of stuff, not to mention our nation experienced this cultural explosion with racial tension and political conflict, and, and we're just going like, okay, rocking a hard place. Still feels like we're stuck. But here's my challenge for the day, as I've been thinking about this. My hope for today is that as we're, as we're talking, I believe that what I see as stuck, what you see as stuck, Jesus sees very differently. From his perspective, he knows all the pieces and he doesn't see you, he doesn't see me as being stuck between this rock and a hard place. He, in fact, sees things and understands things very differently. And so my hope is that by the end of our time together, we will all have a better way of seeing things the way that he sees things. All right, and so we're gonna do that by looking at one of my favorite characters in scripture, David. He's this phenomenal, if you haven't read David's story, read through the life of David because I, to this day, feel like looking at his life and looking at how he's faced different circumstances continues to inform how I should face certain situations today. Now, I might not be facing the exact same circumstances that David is going to face, but how he deals with certain things. What he does when he's caught in a rock and a hard place, that still helps me out a lot. Because just like us, 
David had his fair share of those seasons, those moments where he felt, I'm caught, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place here. You know, we're going to jump to, we're going to live in 2 Samuel chapter 22. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22. Just a little hint, it's after 1 Samuel. So you find 1 Samuel, you just go to the next one, all right? But David's story starts much earlier. So in 1 Samuel 17, young David, remember he was a shepherd. If you don't know the full story, again, read it for yourself because there's so much to it. But he's a shepherd watching his daddy's sheep. One day he finds himself at the battlefield because he's going to encourage his brothers. They're facing the army. And so David finds himself and he confidently approaches Saul in, in, because the Israelites are in this standoff with the Philistines because on the other side of the valley is this giant of a warrior, Goliath, right? Many of us have known this story for a long time. And Goliath is striking fear into the heart of God's army. And David is confused by this. And he goes, why are we afraid? He essentially goes to Saul, the king of the Israelites, and says, let me at him. Give me a chance. Now, Saul's the king is going like, now hold on a second. How this fight goes determines our future. So as Saul's about to dismiss this child of a man, uh, David, David says, like, hold on, let me, let me share something with you. So I am a shepherd. But there were days when I would look up and I would see a lion trying to drag one of my sheep off. Or I would look at the line of woods and see a bear charging the herd. And I had to make a decision. Am I going to be the kind of shepherd that runs when danger comes? Or am I the kind of shepherd that runs towards the danger for the sake of my sheep? And he says, listen, with a sling in my hand, I've gone after lions, I've gone after bears, and I've rescued my sheep from the jaws of the beast. If I couldn't, listen to this, this is how hardcore this is. If I couldn't get him with my sling, I would grab the beast by the beard and take him out. Just a show of hands, how many of you have killed a lion or a bear? Just want just to be friends with you. Okay. Um, because, like, that's what he brings to the table. And look at what he actually says in, in 36. He says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine, this is Old Testament trash talk, by the way. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. What is David doing? He's remembering if God delivered me from a lion, would he do it again? If God showed up and delivered me from a bear, do you think he will deliver me now? David steps face to face with Saul with confidence and says, I got this. And so not to spoil the end of the story, but I'm about to. David takes on the giant and he drops him just like the bear and the lion. Because with a sling in his hand and God beside him, David slays the giant. Now by the time we get to 2 Samuel chapter 22, David is now king. He's been reigning for decades now, several years later. And David's a much older king and it looks as though, catch this, He's defeating giants. His facing and defeating giants has now become the norm. So I want to encourage you to read this chapter because it's crazy. But it looks, but at the end of this chapter, it says this. These four were descendants of the giants of Gath. And so what that means is David and his army, just another day in the life of David, we fought four giants. Okay? 
And these four were descendants from Gath, the giants of the Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and his, the hand of his servants. Here's what I want you to see. There's something about David's perspective that made him prevail, regardless of the circumstances he was facing. He had discovered a secret, and he reveals this secret in this next chapter. And so chapter 22 is also Psalm 18, just a fun fact. So there's this psalm that when David finds himself facing the giants or on the midst of a battle or in a hard situation in a rock and a hard place, David goes to a psalm. And here's where we find the secret. So this is 2 Samuel 22, verse 2. He said, the Lord is my rock. Listen to this. Everybody listen to this. The Lord is my rock. My fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge and my savior. Look, he finishes like this. You save me from violence. I call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Here's my question for you. How many times do you think he said these words? Do you think when he was a shepherd, facing his fear, chasing down a bear to rescue one of his sheep, do you think in his mind he was saying, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer? Do you think as a shepherd when a thunderstorm came in and he ran and hid in a cave, or as a fugitive when he hid in a cave because the storm of King Saul's rage was coming. Do you think he would say things like, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge? Think these words would just come to him, whether as a warrior on the eve of battle, would he say things like, my shield, the horn of my salvation. As a king who's become accustomed to facing giants as the norm, do you think he would say things like, I call upon the Lord? He's worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. I think he made a habit of coming back to this place. My God, my rock. You see, his great secret is that whenever he found himself between a rock and a hard place, he reminded himself, oh, God is the rock. Whenever he found himself where he thought, It feels like I'm stuck. He would remember, oh, God is my rock. And when you realize that God is the rock, you begin to see the hard places differently. When you realize he is your shield, you realize I'm not stuck, but God is working in this. He's doing something on the other side of this. Because when God is your rock, when you realize this, you see and you approach and you handle the hard places differently. I was at a funeral a couple weeks ago, and I love what was said by the family because they were just kind of, you know, obviously heartbroken, but but they were sharing a value for their family. And their value was this. We can do hard things. Think about that. Think about passing that on to your kids. Hey, in this family, we can do hard things. We know life isn't perfect. We know it's hard. And in our family, we can do hard things. And so as a family of God, Our Heavenly Father brought us together, and I think in many ways he's going, hey, my kids, 
we know how to do hard things. We know how to face hard times. If God is the rock, we know how to face the hard places differently than the world does. That's how we deal with things. You know, at the gym where I go as often as I can, um, the co- one of the coaches kind of was helping me understand some things. They say, listen, there are two kinds of workouts. There are training workouts and there are testing workouts. You know, the training workouts are to keep you strong, to keep building muscle, to build technique, to build those kind of things. But there are testing workouts as well where we're trying to figure out where are you? How strong have you gotten? Where is the line? And how do we get stronger? And I think here's what I want you to understand. When we approach these hard places in life, and when you have the perspective of David that remembers God is my rock and he delivered me from the lion, I'm sure he's gonna deliver me from a giant. And then later, he delivered me from this giant, surely he will deliver me from these four giants. Is you do what David did. Remember that God is the rock. You remember now that these hard places, you see them differently. You see them. Is this a training time or a testing time? What is God doing on the other side of this hard time? See, what I want us to do is I want us to start to gain a new perspective. What if the struggle that we are in actually is expanding our capacity for growth? Let me say it a different way. What if you saw your present problems as a training ground for future possibilities? Let's start to see things differently. You see, when we realize, again, God is our rock, we face hard times differently. I love how Spurgeon said this, man. He said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. For some of you, this needs to become your (laughs) quote, right? I've learned to kiss the wave. Listen, you're standing in the storm. The waves are crashing. Things are uncertain. Things are harder than you thought. Things are lasting longer than you thought. Things are out of your control. But I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Because when you know your God is the rock, It changes things, right? So here's the big question. How do we do this? Like how do we begin to take on the mindset that David had? Or how do we begin to change our perspective to see things the way that God sees things? You know, I just read a book (laughs) that was referring to this guy, Martin Seligman. He's a psychologist. And he wrote a book called Learned Optimism. So I'd encourage you if you want to read it. It's a great book to read. Um, And I love when modern psychologists say things that scripture has been saying for a long time. It's a really encouraging thing for me because I go, whew, close. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because when you look at what David did, you realize like this is how we deal with these things. And so what, one of the things that Martin says, he says, we all have an explanatory style for interpreting why things happen. Let me give an example. So you're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off. Or somebody, you stop at the red light and they fly by you, right? Or they, something happens, okay? Chances are you have a way of explaining things, okay? Some of you use colorful language in explaining things in your head, right? Some of you are like, I cannot believe this idiot, right? We're all going somewhere. We're all trying to get somewhere. Who do you think you are? You think you're more special than the rest of us? You think like everybody has to follow the rules except for you? You think you've been given this, you know, right? Okay, that's, that's one way of explaining things. Then there's like your grandma's way. 
Oh, bless their heart. Right? <laughs> bless his heart. Because like the sweet grandma, they just go, oh, I bet something bad happened and they just need to get somewhere quick. I bet they're having a baby and they just need to get to the hospital. I bet this is a really big point, right? They have this, they have a totally different explanation for why things are happening. So everybody has a story that we tell with these certain circumstances. Let me kind of read this quote. It says, your explanatory style is the manner in which you habitually explain to yourself why events happen. Listen carefully. An optimistic explanatory style stops helplessness, whereas a pessimistic explanatory style spreads helplessness. Here's what this means. If your explanatory style is that of a victim, that means you're going to spread a victim mindset. Do you know what I mean? Like it always is against me. They never do this kind of, I'm always going to be able If that's the story and the way you explain the world to yourself, you never get out of that. It spreads helplessness. But I've got friends. It doesn't matter what happens. Their explanation of things is like, what what planet are you living on? Because they're, they're living in this place of like, God's got it. God's up to something in this. Man, it's hard, but he's doing something amazing. And you're just like, the way they're explaining the story behind their experiences is just way different. And it stops helplessness. Okay, here's what I want you to really see. Your way of explaining events to yourself determines how helpless you become or how energized when you encounter everyday setbacks as well as momentous defeats. Here's what I want you to understand from this. This is, at the very least, here's what I think this means. You have to own your explanations. You are the only one responsible for how you explain the experiences in your life. I love how Mark Batterson, he's a pastor in the DC area. Here's how he kind of says this. Your explanations are more important than your experiences. Some of you are like, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? Listen to this. Your explanations of what happens are actually more important than the experience themselves. Why? Look at this. While you can't control your experiences, you can control your explanations of them. Do you hear that? You have to own it. You are responsible for the way, the story you're telling yourself. The story David told himself is like, Listen, God's my rock. It doesn't matter what's on the other side. God's my refuge. I can hide in him. No one can touch me. God is my shield. You can shoot anything you want at me and God will stop it. That's the story he tells himself. And look at how it changed it. Look at what it did for him. So what I want to do is I want to walk through some of the hard places maybe that we've been caught in and invite us to broaden our perspective a bit. Maybe let's get out of a perspective that spreads helplessness. Let's step into a perspective that stops it and moves us into something new. Let's start on a personal level. Then I do want to address some of the things that are going on in the church here at the Henderson campus in particular. So (laughs) personally, for some of you, this has been the most difficult year of your life. Is that, is that true? You don't have to respond or raise your hand or anything, but right, you're gonna look at this year and go, 
this one hurt. This is the year when, and you fill in the blank. This is what happened. And it's because it's almost marked by loss. Like, you know, and it's not the worst year for all of us, but it's marked by loss. Loss of a job, loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship, loss of a dream. Some of you, some of you started something at the beginning of 2020 going, this year is going to be phenomenal. And you launched into something. It feels like your dream was stolen. You lost it. A loss of identity, maybe. Some of us in this room have been building our lives on certain things that during this year went away and now we're really confused. We're really confused because we're like, I thought I was basing who I was on what I did or what I made or who I was with and all those things are gone now. So who am I? What is my identity built on now that I've lost these things? So here's the deal. I don't know what your story is, but I know you've got one. But to gain a better perspective, we need to own our explanation of what's going on. So let's do what David did. Remember, God is the rock. Some of you might want to write these verses down, put it in your Bible. It's already in your Bible twice, by the way. Um, and, but if you need to write it on a card and leave it in there, do that. But maybe you need to just take a screenshot, put it on your phone. But again, own these words. Okay, as I read them, I want you to go, these are mine now. This is how I see things now, ready? The Lord is my rock, my fortress. You could build your life on him and feel protected. He's my deliverer. You could face anything and he will prevail against it. He is my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. I can hide in him and no one can hurt me. You're like, well, life hurts. But if God is the rock, it changes all the other stuff. This means that the hard place is most likely a testing ground or a training ground. Perhaps Jesus was preparing you for something bigger in the future. This year, maybe he's been training you for something like, hey, something's coming. But you got to get stronger. We got to work through some stuff. I got to remove some things so that you have space for me now. Whatever it is, he might have been preparing you for this. It might have been a matter of training. Just like David, you might have to face a giant today because God's plan is that the norm for you is gonna be taking out giants. But you gotta start with this one. Listen to me, here's what's crazy. David was anointed to be king 20 years before he became king. Think about that. What was he doing for 20 years? Training. He trained in a shepherd, as a shepherd. He trained as a warrior. He trained as a fugitive, fleeing from his life in caves, living in ditches. That's his training ground to become king. It's not the typical pathway, but it was for him. So you might be in a season now where God's training you. He's preparing you for something. Or maybe you had an experience in the past that prepared you for the test that you're in right now. Meaning, all of a sudden, you realize why that relationship didn't work. Because there's someone in your life that you need to speak wisdom and life to now. But had you not gone through it, you wouldn't have been ready. Right? This is how God works. This is what he does. 
He orchestrates it all together. He prepares us for the things that are coming because he's the only one who holds all the pieces. He's the only one who sees it all. So regardless of what difficulty you're facing right now, here are two things that I know to be true. First, the goal is growth. On the other side of this hardship, whatever it is, the goal is growth for you. This is the perspective of the majority of the authors in the New Testament. This passage comes from Paul when he wrote Romans. This is Romans 5, verses 3 3 through 5. Look at what he says. Paul, again, if you don't know him, famous first century church planter, has had more than his fair share of rock and hard places. You know what I mean? So not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings This guy's crazy, right? Who rejoices in their sufferings? Some of you do because you get it. You know that suffering, you know that this, God doesn't waste pain. He doesn't waste the hurts that you're walking through. He uses all these things to build you more into the likeness of his son, preparing you for his kingdom coming through you. So he uses your suffering to do what? Knowing that your suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces, say this, hope. Look how he finishes this. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Man, think about that. God uses these experiences, whether they're training or testing times, to draw us close to himself and help us grow to become more like Jesus. A mentor of mine says this often. He says, are you going through COVID or are you growing through COVID? Are you just hanging on, hoping that one day this is all going to change and one day, or are you actually growing through this, growing in your walk with Jesus, growing in your character, growing to become what he's preparing you and trying to get you into? Are you going through it or are you actually growing through it? Here's the second thing. God has already given you what you need to succeed. First, the goal is growth, but here's the second thing, and this is very personal to me. He's already given you what you need to succeed. When David stepped onto the battlefield to face Goliath back in 1 Samuel 17, he had a sling in his hand, and he had the Lord beside him, and he knew, he knew he had all that he needed. He knew it was enough. He knew he would prevail. And I want you to get, I want to give you a passage that I, I think about almost daily. And anybody I talk to, I've told them about this passage. This is 2 Peter. This is verse one, uh, chapter one, verse three. Look at this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Everything? Everything. But wait, wait, wait. Did Paul know that COVID was coming? Or did Peter know that COVID was coming? Yes. God, through his divine power, has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. That means there's nothing coming tomorrow that God has not already equipped you for today. That means there's nothing that you're going to have to walk through, no training ground, no testing that God is not presently and in his power given you the ability to deal with that. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. By his own glory and goodness. This means that we have already been equipped to face what tomorrow is going to bring. The problem is we don't walk in that. It's like we're living in a prison cell and Jesus has opened the door and said, you're free. Start walking in freedom. The reality is you have to walk out. 
You have to walk in the reality that the grace of Jesus has created for you. You have to partner with him. Walk in step with his spirit. You have to walk in the realities of what he's doing in your life and around you. He's doing all these things. He's providing all these things. And yet in our comfort and safety, we hide in the corner of a prison that we no longer are bound to. Think about this. All we have to do is walk in the reality of what he has already done. He's already given you what you need. Now let me address a few things that we're walking through as a church. You know, I met with our Henderson deacons a couple weeks ago, and one of the deacons kind of helped me reframe kind of how to see these changes that we're walking through as a church. He was saying that we have to get back to the most important thing. We have to get back to the most important thing. We need to walk through some of these changes now so that we can focus our collective energy on the most important things and then make them better. And I get that right now. It feels like we're deconstructing a lot of things. It feels like, man, we're saying no to a lot of things. We're kind of getting rid of a lot of these things. But as we go through some of these changes, here's my question. As a church, maybe this is a training ground for us. Maybe this is a testing time for us. Because, again, training keeps us strong. But maybe we're in a testing season where he says, you can get stronger. I have more for you. There's a new thing I'm doing, and I'm getting you ready for it. So what if we just prepare ourselves as a church to say, hey, we want the new thing you're doing, but we know we've got to walk through some of these things. As we go through the process of deconstructing and removing things, even things that we desperately and sincerely love, even the things we love, it's creating space for us to do two things, seek God and realign to his plan. We've got to seek him. So the whole reason we're walking through some of this difficult changes is because we believe Jesus is helping us build something new. This is his church. It doesn't belong to any of us. <laughs> this is his. It's all, always been about his mission. And so in many ways, he's helping us get back to the basics, focused on what matters most to his heart. And so this is what we do. And I love how Cam said it. In an effort to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus, we do three things. We reach, we disciple, and we uh, develop. We reach, we disciple, and we develop. We reach those who are far from God because he created them to be in relationship with him. And when they are far from him, it breaks his heart and it breaks the heart of the church. That's just how it works. And we disciple because we know that everybody that becomes more like Jesus and walks in the ways of Jesus is living out a kingdom reality here and now. And people are missing that. People think that life has to happen this way. But what we're saying is like, no, no, no. The kingdom of God has started. And those who are living in the ways of Jesus can experience that. They can walk in that. And we develop because every single person, every one of you, listen to me, every one of you, has been created with specific plans in mind. And God wants you to do these things. He wants you to run after your passion and your purpose. He wants you to be developed to run for his kingdom. That's what we're about. We reach, we disciple, and we develop. And let me address something real, real specific. Because there are some questions that I need to bring some clarity to. And again, as we're walking through this, the question is, Maybe we're in a training season. Maybe we're in a testing season. But I get this question a lot right now. Is the Latino ministry going away? Please hear me. 
No. No. The way we've been doing ministry for our Latino community is changing, though. It is changing. Because we've come to realize we don't want to meet in two separate places for worship anymore. We don't want, we don't, we want to be together. Listen, we want to rub shoulders with people who speak a different language, who look different than us. That's how we get better. We want to live the picture that Jesus has of his church. One body, many diverse members of that body though, because that's how it functions the best. And so we want to see this happen. But here's the reality. Listen, things are going to start looking a little bit different for us. We have to prepare ourselves for this. We have to know that we're walking in new territory and growth comes on the other side of discomfort. And so let's walk through it because God's got a big dream ahead, but we got to walk through some of these things. So here's my question. If any of you speak Spanish, we need your help. <laughs> um, if, you, if you speak Spanish, we need you on the guest experience team welcoming at the front. We need you in the kids ministry helping parents check in. We need you on the prayer team kind of meeting with these families and walking through significant things. If you speak Spanish, I need, you came here today going like, this message isn't for me. And then I said, if you speak Spanish, this message is now for you. Um, I need you to go to Connecting Point and sign up and say, I want to be a part of helping make this happen. But here's, let me just keep going on this. By God's grace, 50% of our church has come back. But that means 50% of our people are not here yet. That means we have some gaps. And so I just want to say, and I know a lot of you are already serving, a lot of you are already engaged, but let me just say this. If you're not, hey, if you're wondering when the time is to get engaged, now is the time. This is the year to get on a team, join the family, be about making something happen. Listen, I guarantee you, five years from this year, we're going to look back and go, can you believe what God did in compassion? And you have a moment to be a part of it, and you can help us rebuild something that God's been dreaming about. Don't miss it. Jump in. If you're not engaged, come on. Jump in, because we are excited about what God's doing next, but in all this, it feels like we're deconstructing things, but we're deconstructing the way we've been doing ministry to rebuild on mission according to the new things Jesus is doing. Why? So that we can reach and disciple and develop people better. That's why we're doing this. Is it going to be hard? Yes, of course. Everything significant is hard. Is it going to get better? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as we wrap up, I'm already going a little bit long, so we're going to wrap up quickly. I, I've, we got to get this. We've got to learn to see things differently. We can't see, keep seeing things the same way we've been seeing things. We've got to have a different perspective, one perspective from the kingdom. You know what I mean? We've got to start seeing things the way Jesus sees things. Here's why. Because you might miss what he's doing. You might miss what he's leading you in. You might misinterpret some of the things you're experiencing because you're not, you don't have his perspective. You don't have this, my God is the rock perspective, therefore I can face any hard place kind of perspective. You gotta get a new perspective here. And this story just reminds me of this so, so much. You know, when my son was three, um, he fell off of a chair and hit his head on a coffee table. Uh, that's what boys do, apparently. Um, and so, but here's the thing. We, we, my wife just gave birth to Callie Joe the day before. I did nothing. I stood there. 
you got this, you know. Um, so the day before we give birth uh, to Callie Joe, the next day our friend calls us and says, hey, just a heads up, you need to come to the hospital in Statesboro. Not a big deal, uh, but we think Harrison's gonna have to get some stitches. So we leave the hospital in Savannah and I get dropped off at the hospital in Statesboro. And it was, it was gross. It was pretty bad. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, stay cool. You know, as a parent, you have this like, don't let your face know you're freaking out rule. Um, that was put to the test that day. So we were sitting there and, um, and he had to get stitches. By the way, he, got, he hit his head right here. I don't know if I mentioned that. So he hit his head right between his eyes, his big hole in his head. It was freaky. So we're in the emergency room uh, in one of the rooms preparing to get stitches. So I'm sitting on the bed and I'm holding Harrison and he falls asleep, which is good because he'd just been through a lot, obviously. And the doctor walks in and she says, okay, um, it's good that you fell asleep. I'm gonna go ahead and start stitching him up um, so that hopefully we can kind of do this real quick and then move on. So I'm holding him and she's like, just be prepared though. Okay, all right, got this. He's three, so I was like, I think I can take him, you know? Um, so she starts stitching him up and he wakes up and he sees the doctor with needles and thread and all these kind of things. And so I'm, I've got my arm around him and I've got his face pressed against my face and I'm just holding his head and I'm like, got my leg locked around him and I'm just like, we're almost done, we're almost done. It's gonna be better, just hang in there. And he's freaking out. He's just losing his mind, as you can imagine. And so I'm just holding him and finally she says, I'm done. And so she cuts the last string and steps away and then I, I let him go and he pushes me. Because he looked at me as the problem. He said, why would you let me walk through this pain? Why would you allow her to hurt me like this? Why would you let this thing happen to me? How are you as my dad gonna let me experience all this pain, all this hurt? You're sitting here letting it happen to me. What are you thinking? He didn't understand that as his dad, I was holding him in the pain because I was helping him heal. Some of you have pushed away God because you're going, why did you let me walk through this? Why did you let them do that to me? Why did you let this pain happen to me? And you're not seeing it the way he sees it. Because you didn't see that your heavenly father has been holding you in the pain so that he can get you to healing, so that he can get you to a new place. You see, if we don't get our perspective right, we miss who our God is and we miss where he is. He's always been present. He's always been working. He's always had your best in mind. He's holding you in the pain to get you through it. See, our God is bigger than you think. He's way better than any of us can imagine. So let's take on a new perspective this year, okay? God is the rock. And if he is the rock, the best is yet to come, right? Amen. All right, let's pray. Here we go, Father. Thank you for your grace. I pray that for those of us here, even today has been a day where the eyes of our heart are opened to what you've been up to. 
Let today be a day where we begin to see things from your perspective. That we see that what we've translated as pain that you are causing is in fact pain that you are producing good out of. Help us to see things better. I pray for those in the room right now that are in a training season. That you're preparing them for something that's coming. God, renew their strength. Give them eyes to see what you're up to. Don't let them get trapped into a way of thinking that is going to hold them captive. But help them to be like David. And remember, if you delivered me then, you're going to do it again. If you showed up then, I'm sure you're going to do it again. And for those who are in a testing time, where it's harder than they thought, and it's lasting longer than they thought, I pray that you'd give them perseverance. Because we know on the other side of our perseverance is growth. On the other side of our hurt is a transformed self as we become more like you and draw close to you. God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.